another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about achieving health and fitness success and long-term sustainability. Today's guest is John Berardi. John is a Canadian-American entrepreneur best known as the co-founder of Precision Nutrition, the world's largest nutrition coaching, education, and software company. He is also the founder of Changemaker Academy, devoted to helping would-be changemakers turn their passion for health and fitness into a powerful purpose and a widely successful career. Over the last 15 years, he has advised organizations such as Apple, Nike, and the San Antonio Spurs. John has also been named as one of the 20 smartest coaches in the world and 100 most influential people in health and fitness. John, welcome to the show, bud. Thank you for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Thanks for the intro, and hopefully we drop some good knowledge for the listeners today. I'm sure I'm sure we will. So, so John, just for the listeners, um, how'd you get to where you're at now? Obviously, I know I was, I was reading uh, Changemaker, and it talks about how you went from the party lifestyle to personal trainer to uh, obviously the co-founder of Precision Nutrition and to where you're at now, but kind of give us a little bit more of an insight of uh, how you achieved all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those who know um, where that is uh, now, you know, um, sort of precision nutrition has kind of become the world's largest and, and most influential nutrition coaching and education company. And so that's what most people know me for. Uh, in 2017, uh, Phil Caravaggio, the founder, co-founder and I um, sold our shares in the company. So now, you know, we're on to other things. But, you know, the question, how did we get to this point? You know, it, it's, it's a good one. And it actually, the first thing that jumped into my mind was uh, we have four children at home, my wife, Amanda and I, and the process of teaching that like right now we're in the mid middle of the COVID stuff and all of our four children are home with us. So we've become sort of de facto homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it kind of reminds me of the same thing. Like they're, um, there is no getting from where you were to where you are, right? As if it were like a linear process or it's a series of steps, right? But it's not like a staircase. And I think that's what people have in their minds, this analogy, you just keep climbing the ladder or the staircase and it's sort of a linear process to successful or whatever set of goals you want to achieve. But, you know, as I reflect on my career, I realized it's more like, um, I don't know if, if folks remember those choose your own adventure books, um, we, we read them all the time at home and they, they actually have these series on Netflix now where, uh, you there's a, I don't know if you've seen the Bear Grylls one, but it's really, really cool. So basically, uh, Bear Grylls is this, uh, dude who's become a bit of a TV personality, uh, taking people out into the wilderness and survival, survival skills and stuff like that. So right. they have this one show where there's a mission that you have to accomplish in each show and he, you know. One of them is you have to take a special vaccine to a remote village in South America. And along the way, there are challenges or obstacles or difficulties. And using your remote, you know, as a kid or whatever watching it, uh, he'll ask you which solution do you want to choose, right? And if you choose one, it works out for you. If you choose another one, it doesn't work out for you. And uh, it's really cool because you have maybe six or eight of these little inflection points in each show where, you know, there's a lot of possible adventures you can go on. Um, So anyway, you know, we grew up with it in books and now they have it on Netflix and on TV. But it really, it's, it's, I think, an example of how things work in life, right? Uh, You have all these little choices every single day. Do I work on this? Do I work on that? Do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Do I go to this event? Do I not go to this event? Do I talk to this person? Do I not talk to this person? So... To say how I got to where I am now as if it were a linear path, which I could do. You know, hey, I was a I was a goof off in high school and I was drunk and high all the time, and all this is true. Um, I didn't get into university when I first applied, uh, but you know, I um after a series of sort of challenges that I had, um, had a bad car accident, thought I was gonna die. That was a huge wake-up call for me, uh, left aside the lifestyle I was living but was sitting in this hole of, okay, what do you fill that time with, right? And I ended up 
finding my way to the gym, found a fantastic mentor there. He made me promise to go get an education. So I went through community college to get my grades. Then I ended up going to university. Then I did a master's and a PhD. And then towards the tail end of that, I started writing and coaching and then started Precision Nutrition. So it seems like a very linear thing, but all this happened over such a long time, right? I mean, that even that little story I just shared, you know, took 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for anyone listening who's aspiring to certain achievements or whatever, you know, the thing is, it's, it's really difficult. You know, you, you do want to set out some kind of plan. You know, um, I am here. Here's where I want to go. But, you know, in my book, I talk about this idea of uh, a T-shaped curriculum. So the idea being that, you know, whether you want to learn math or whether you want to learn an instrument or whether you want to grow a successful career or go get an advanced degree in a subject, uh, you need a curriculum. You need a series of things that you'll learn in a progression over time that will eventually lead to future you. And so I help people walk through this idea. And my favorite model for that, and they call it the T-shaped curriculum, is because you imagine a T, right? So there's a a horizontal line across the top and a vertical line that comes down through the center, and that's your T. And what each of those lines represents is the horizontal line represents all the skills that will be required or all the knowledge sets that will be required for you to become future you. And you don't have to go deep into any of those areas. Deep expertise isn't required, uh, but you need to know a little bit about a bunch of things. But then there has to be an area where you do go deep, right? Where you do have deep expertise, and that is the vertical line of the T. So what I do when I coach people is I walk them through, okay, tell me what your goal is, or tell me what you want to achieve, or whatever the case may be. Okay, now let's think about all the things you'll need. Like for me to get to this place in my career, for example, you know, I needed some business skills. I needed some coaching and communication skills. You know, I needed a whole bunch of skills that would, that, that aren't particularly deep, but that could fit along that, let's say, you know, horizontal line of the T. And then in the, you know, the deep, the vertical line, you know, that's where I went and got a PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry, right? So there's just this one area I went really deep into became a, a real expert in. And then, but that's not enough. That, that real expertise uh, is too small. It's too narrow uh, to have the kind of sustainable success we're talking about here. So then you have to draw that horizontal line and figure out what all fits along that line. So, you know, again, advice for young people or people who maybe aren't so young, but are starting a new career or have new, more ambitious goals is that, you know, you look where you are now, you look where you want to be and you say, that future person, what skills does he or she need? What areas will they have to study? And then you make up this T and then you just go about filling it out. You go about collecting those experiences, uh, that knowledge set, that practice to get there. So, you know, how did I get to here? It's kind of that way. Um, early in my career, I didn't really know how to plot it out in advance. So I just kind of chase the things that I thought might help me quote unquote be successful. And I in particular chase the things I thought would help me be successful that I also enjoyed. Um, and that, that kind of led to here because that, that was one of the forks in the road, right? Like I, mm-hmm. when I got done undergrad, my, one of my undergraduate degrees was pre-med. So I thought I was going to go right to med school. So I applied to med schools and I got accepted. And then the very last minute I was like, gosh, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this. And it was really tempting to just keep plowing through, right? Like just make it a challenge, go get the MD and then figure it out from there. But I realized it just wasn't going to dig it. Like it would have been a hard challenge, but it wouldn't have been an enjoyable challenge. So instead, I went and started a master's in exercise science, you know, and people thought I was nuts. But again, it was that sort of intersection between like what, you know, what will make future me? And, you know, me, I always bias more heavily towards uh, the stuff that I like, you know, the things that will bring the most enjoyment. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. But, you know, it's a complicated one. How did you get to this place? Well, there was tons of luck. There was tons of hard work. There was uh, a winding, twisting, serpentine path 
right? Which you never really know if it's going to work out. But uh, that's why, you know, a lot of days, rather than I feel deserving of success, I just feel really grateful that it happened to land with me, you know? I mean, you, you answered it perfectly. And the reason why I always like to start with this question with every guest is for this exact reason. Uh, I think for a lot of people, um, especially now with the social media age and digital age, you, you see all the highlights, right? But you don't mm-hmm. see the, like what you just mentioned, the zigzag or what a lot of people call the iceberg effect, right? You see the very top, but you don't see the bottom of what they had to go through. Because um, it's not, just like you mentioned, it's not a linear progression by no means. In theory, it is, right? You do step one, you do step two, you do step yeah. three. But all the challenges and, and stuff that goes are, uh, in between those steps uh, are not really accounted for and can really break people down all, all the way through. Kind of mm-hmm. like you, the, the challenge that you came up, uh, which were well, many of them. But the one you just mentioned with uh, med school is trying to figure out, okay, should I go to med school? It's kind of like the more... Uh, I want to say popular, but the more, mm-hmm. hey, you know, if you want to help people, you want to get into health and, and, and get a bigger impact, you go into become a doctor and do like the normal things. Mm-hmm. But you're like, hey, I probably won't enjoy that as much. Maybe there's another alternative route. And it's a very similar uh, predicament uh, that I found myself in um, as I, as being collegiate athlete and being in baseball, my young career, um, I knew my plan B was to do some type of physical therapy. And at Mm -hmm. that realm, all I knew was to do physical therapy. So I had to do the classes, do all this, and become a physical therapist. But what I ended up seeing is there was a a portion of that journey that I didn't want to go through and I didn't think it was necessary. So Mm -hmm. I I covered it or I I created my own route. Uh, Very similar to uh, a part in your book where you talk about creating your, your university. Right, mm-hmm. where you create your strong foundation and then layer on all the skills, kind of like you mentioned, this T aspect, layer on all the skills and go deep uh, into the things that you find interesting, things that you find that will basically derive the, the place where you want to go to help people or whatever career, whatever ambitious uh, goal you have. Um, so, yeah, you answered it perfectly. Yeah. Um, actually, more than I would have ever. More than I would have expected. So I appreciate that. that was a great oh, that's answer. awesome. Yeah. It, you know, as you were talking there, it reminded me, you know, so many times in my career, people have asked me like, Hey, I, I what you do is awesome, JB. Like, how do I end up doing what you do? You know? And the interesting thing that always occurred to me was, gosh, when I was your age, I didn't want to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's how the mismatch is, right? Like, um, First of all, what I do now may not even be a thing when you get to this place in your career. But I wasn't focused on that. Like, how do I end up there? Because it's just so far away, right? Like, if you're a master's student or an undergraduate, uh, getting to to where I am now, it's just too far away. I mean, it's like 20, 25 years for most of you. And also, um, so much like learning and development has to happen along the way you might figure out you don't like some of those things and that'll be a great discovery, you know? And so I remember, you know, actually some of the most influential things that I was exposed to was through that, you know, health and fitness mentor that I met at the gym. And, you know, he also mentored me on reading and learning and study and all this kind of stuff. And he would always just give me books, right? Like, now he was a he was ten years older. He was a competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. You know he was the biggest, strongest guy in our town, and um, but he was also a successful business owner and a great thinker. And so he would crush me in the gym, and then he would give me books to read. You know until the next session, and you know it was a mix of like philosophy and like practical and business and stuff. And then, uh, but a lot of the things he would give me was like you know, what would now be called self-help. So it was like Stephen Covey and Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins. And, you know, and for those who've been exposed to Tony Robbins in this generation, like that guy was putting out info in the 80s and 90s. Like he's been around forever and he's been at the highest level forever. You know, I I remember getting like a 20 cassette uh, set of Tony Robbins's teachings. And I would just listen to them on this old cassette player in my bedroom, you know, when I was a late teenager. But, um, 
what a lot of those guys used to teach was like having a five-year plan. So what's your five-year plan? Write it down, commit goals, blah, blah, blah. And something always, you know, at first I tried it and something never sit really well with me about it. And as I got a little bit older and sort of learned myself a little bit better, I realized that for me, the problem with the five-year plan was that there are so many opportunities between now and year five. There are so many side paths that you could go down. Um, and for me personally, if I had a at the end of the five-year goal, I'm the kind of person that would stick to that. And uh, the cost to that, I mean, there's pros to it, right? It maybe enhances motivation and discipline and all that kind of stuff. But the cost to it is that you're so tunnel visioned that you may miss the right path along the way because you're focused on the thing you wrote down when you were a 19-year-old who didn't know anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. So that's, it's this, you know, it feels like, uh, you know, if we talk about success or, you know, growing into this future self, it feels like it's this dynamic tension between having something that helps you build future you and that you can stick to and that you can stay motivated towards and that you can stay excited about and that you can stay disciplined towards and something in you that allows you to be open to detours uh, or totally different paths that come up as you change. You know, and as your understanding changes, you know, I always liken it to like a little kid who at six or seven is like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an astronaut, whatever. Right. And um, that's cool. Like little kids should dream like that. You know, we encourage our children to. But at the same time, how much could a seven year old know about being a doctor? You don't know anything about it. Right. They have no clue what being a doctor really means. So if they were to stick with that just because they said that when they were seven, that's foolish. Like you have to continue to test that decision over time as you grow, but also as you learn more about what being a doctor really means, right? So that's why I think about all this stuff, right? It's this very difficult tension between setting up this sort of future you and making a curriculum and sticking to that uh, until new information comes in that may cause you to revise that plan, revise your T, you know? Um, just like uh, we would ask people in science, right? Or who read science or who try and interpret science, um, new data may come out any day that explodes your previous worldview about how this particular scientific process works. Mm -hmm. um, if you are a good thinker, if you are true to the pursuit of knowledge, you will bring that, those new data on board and revise your approach, right? And so that's kind of the same thing that has to happen here. Yeah, I mean, you, you touch on a lot of good things and a big one being the pressure of knowing who and what you want to be as soon as, even before college, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you graduate college, uh, high school, you're like, all right, so now what? And you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, go to college, I guess. And then once you graduate college, it's like, all right, now what? You're like, uh, find a job, right? right. I guess. Um, but I think what you mentioned here, the part of, obviously you want to have some type of vision. You want to have an idea of where you want to go because without some type of vision, you're just kind of going everywhere. Mm -hmm. But a really important aspect you just mentioned is keeping it dynamic, keeping it, um, filled with opportunities for you to learn and pivot when necessary. Right. Um, yes, there are people that know exactly what they want to do or, or where they want to go. Um, but I want to say that's the rare occasion. I think for a lot of us, especially myself, and it sounds like um, through your journey, you had similar instances um, where you had an idea of where you wanted to go. Or, you know, we have an idea of where we want to go, but keep it still in the with the opportunities of being able to still receive uh, outside information and other aspects and other perspectives and other opportunities because you never know where they're going to lead you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I remember sitting with a guidance counselor my first year of university, you know, and, and at that time, what do you want to be? And I was, I, you know, at that time I had had uh, that path that I talked about. I had built my body through training after I'd given up the previous lifestyle. Uh, I felt pretty righteous in my choices. You know, I was, wasn't drinking, wasn't using drugs anymore. I was training hard. I had a tremendous amount of discipline. I had won a bunch of bodybuilding contests I had gotten straight A's in community college, you know, so I walk in that and 
guidance counselor's office and is like, here's what I want to do. Nothing's going to stand in my way. And at the time is I want to be a strength coach for a professional sports team. Right. right. And so it's interesting, right? Because I, I never ended up doing that. But a lot of the work that I've done is kind of close to that. So it was like I was, I was in the right universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was in the right uh, solar system. I was just at, like, I was just thinking about the wrong planet. You know what I mean? And, right. um, and I mean, that's why nowadays, you know, in Changemaker, you know, chapter two is all about this. You know, it's, it's a chapter that deeply explores and then asks you to do the work, right? So there's uh, questions to answer and worksheets and activities and things that you do with friends and family to essentially come up with four things. One is your origin story. Two is your purpose. Three are your unique abilities. And four are your values. And I think that we can plot a course based on these things. So, you know, the first one, origin story. That is, you know, whatever backstory led you to this place. Like what led me to want to become a strength coach so confidently? Let's explore that. What radioactive strength spider bit me and turned me into super fitness strength Spider-Man, you know? Right. Um, and so, you know, let's think about that. And I give, you know, the six or seven most common origin stories. You know, one may look like uh, in health and fitness, you know, uh, I watched someone close to me when I was growing up get sick and, and maybe die. And it was then I realized the importance of health, uh, the importance of doing actions, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress management that contribute to health. And I decided to make that a career. The opposite could be I grew up around healthy people and health and fitness was our way of being together and communicating. So that's I figured I'd make a career out of that. And there's all kinds of different ones in between. I got an injury, you know, like I took health for granted myself. Then I was injured or I got a diagnosis. And then, um, wow, I, I realized I've been taking all this for granted. Now I want to unpack it and live it intentionally. So there's all these different origin stories that you could have, but it's important to know which one is yours, right? And then from that origin story, you start to have a, a reason for your purpose. You know, like this is what made me who I am today. It made me like the things I like, and it made me want to be the things I want to be. And then we start thinking about purpose. That's like, okay, cool. So then what do I do with that, right? And as I talk about in the book, you know, helping people is what a lot of people in health and fitness say, but it's not a good answer because you can help people in a host of fields. You could be a paramedic. You could be a doctor or a nurse. You could... Uh, serve coffee at Starbucks. That helps a lot of people get their morning going, you know? So there's all kinds of ways to help people. That's, so a good enough answer for purpose in health and fitness isn't that. But then we work through the purpose from the origin story. Again, activities, worksheets help us really figure out what our deep and explicit purpose is. And then, but that's not enough, right? Knowing your purpose can help you feel motivated about your purpose, but it may not actually help you do the right job. And that's where we do the next thing, which is unique abilities. So that step looks at, um, and what I, I consider unique abilities, this confluence of three things. One is uh, a th the thing that you are or can become world-class at. So that's part one. And then the second part of unique abilities is among that circle, the things that you can become or are world-class at um, that you really enjoy that you can see yourself wanting to get better at forever and doing forever. And then the third is that among those two things, and it's an ever-diminishing list, right? It's, it's all the things I could be world-class at, but only the ones that I can see doing for a really long time. And then finally, among those, it's the things that make a difference towards your master plan, right? So like if you work in a company like Precision Nutrition, for example, your unique ability would be the thing you're world-class at that you enjoy that actually helps the company grow. Mm -hmm. So that would be unique abilities, right? And so then once you figure those out, then we look at your values, right? Which is, you know, what are the things you think make for a meaningful life, right? So values are a little bit more nebulous. They're a little bit more sort of, uh, we'll say less concrete, but they're just as important as the rest because they set your boundaries. They set the boundaries for what you're willing to do and not do right? They set the boundaries for what balance might look like in your life, right? In some cases, they prevent you from doing the wrong thing. In other cases, they prevent you from doing too much of one thing, right? So if you are working 
on your purpose using your unique abilities. Sometimes it's so fun that you'll just do that all the time to the exclusion of your other value systems, which might be time with family or with friends or, you know, pursuing uh, other creative endeavors. So, you know, again, as we talk about this idea of career and future and success and having a plan, but being fluid, you know, uh, there is a whole process that I take people through. Um, you know, we did it at Precision Nutrition with, you know, when, when we ended up selling the company, we had over 100 team members and they all went through this process. Uh, and now I, I teach it through the book and, and through some of my individual coaching. But it's not just take out an empty notebook and write down what you think your purpose and values are. That's not going to get you anywhere. The real answers come in the intersection between you and other people. And that means some deep exploration work on your own. And we have all the prompts for that. But also connecting with the people in your life who see your blind spots, right? Um, I know when I went through my first unique ability exercises, you know, a bunch of unique abilities emerged from dialogue with my family. Uh, actually, one of my biggest unique abilities, one of my strongest ones, I didn't have on my list and none of my professional friends had included, but my eight-year-old daughter at the time included, right? So she's like, oh, dad, here's the coolest thing about you. You know, these other things are pretty cool, but this one is the best. I'm like, oh, my right. God, this is the thing that actually underlies four or five of the others that people said. Like, this is the most important unique ability. Um, and so... You're only going to discover this stuff with the help of the people close to you. Um, you will have too many biases and filters that will prevent you getting the truth. And at one, it, the unique ability exercise itself is one of my favorite in the whole book. And, and most people who do it feel the same. Because what you end up doing is sending this questionnaire to 10 people who are like friends, family, colleagues, whatever. And it's basically uh, them telling you what's so awesome about you. So there's two things that emerge from that. One is you get unfiltered view of other people about what you can be world-class at and contribute to the world with. And the second thing is you just get this beautiful deluge of positive feedback from people. You know, this is, uh, there's loads of times for constructive criticism in, in your life and you probably get more than, more than your fair share. This is the one time to just get positive, you know? So it feels great and it, helps you figure out what to do next in your life. So um, that's really the framework, you know, origin story to purpose, purpose to turn that into concrete work, your unique abilities, and then unique abilities to your value systems, which is your boundaries, right? Your uh, guardrails for how you'll uh, use your purpose and unique abilities to live a meaningful life and contribute. I mean, you talk about unique abilities and I think for a lot of us, uh, whether you're starting out or been in it for a long time, you have this, uh, I guess, this view of yourself, but you never know how other people view you, right? And like you mentioned, mm -hmm. sometimes it might be filters. Some people, uh, sometimes people don't want to really do say things because they think it's going to hurt you, but they don't realize it might help you in the in the long run. Uh, I really like that exercise of having family members. Obviously, you have obviously this wave of uh, positivity, but also you get a big aspect, a big change of perspective because you're seeing or now you are, are seeing yourself in an outside or in like a bigger view which is a good learning tool mm -hmm. i mean with, with that being said I, you talk about a lot of these uh basically though how can i how can i uh put this health and fitness uh success and it's it leads to like um finding something you're passionate about Obviously, having financial stability, um, flexibility within your schedule, um, all the you know all these aspects of it. How would you say? It, it, I know in the book you talk about it's very hard to to define what success is, and you, and you do your best with a couple, and then at the end, obviously, with the results of your clients and patients. What would you say is the best way to define success in the health and fitness field? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there has to be different definitions along the way for folks, right? Uh, where I'm at now in my career, it's it's doing work that I'm passionate about, like you said. Yeah. Um, it's having the flexibility uh, to do as much or as little of each thing as I want. Yeah. And then uh, having the financial wherewithal uh, to you know get the things that I want 
And then the important caveat then is to uh, make sure that the things that I want are the things that I should have, you know? Um, So, you know, people have framed that in different ways, like, you know, being happy with the things that you have uh, or choosing the right things for you. But that, for me, that's, that's really success. So it, it doesn't hinge on a certain amount of money. It hinges on the value that you get from the things that you end up buying. And uh, you're able to buy those things because of value you created for someone else. Uh, I think people have a lot of sort of embedded belief systems around money and commerce and exchange and entrepreneurship and all this kind of thing. But if we really just boil it down, uh, you the money is exchanged for value, right? Mm-hmm. So I, if I provide something really valuable to enough people, I will get money. Mm-hmm. Then what do I do with that money? Well, I'm going to spend it on things that I consider valuable, right? And these are the exchanges that are happening, right? So you don't need a lot of it to have success. Uh, success is ending up getting the things that you need and value, right? Uh, right. That's what success is. So, you know, again, in, in the work context, it's I want, I want to be paid well to do things I'm passionate about with the flexibility to do it on my terms, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that is a good definition of success for everyone. And you might want a little more passion than someone else. Like they might take a little less passion for a little more flexibility, right? So each of these, you can think of them as like dials, right? On like a mixing table. Right. Yeah. And so one goes up, another one can go down, another one. And so you have to titrate these for yourself. But ultimately, I think we're all after the same things. So I know I've looked at, you know, data from like workplace studies. And uh, generally, you know, when it comes to making money, there isn't a certain amount of money that people want to make. Like once you make over a very, very minimal amount, like, a, you know, for a lot of people that might be the equivalent of like 60 grand American nowadays mm-hmm. annually. Right. Once you make money over that amount, your basic needs are largely met and additional revenue doesn't bring you any additional happiness. Um, What ends up happening, though, is that we look to our peers for how much they're making and our contentment with our own earnings is related to whether we think we're as good as them or not and how well we're getting paid relative to them. So this is a this is a sort of comparison thing that humans do. We go, oh hey, that guy over there kind of does what I do. I think I'm just as good, if not better. How much are they making? And if I'm making about as much as them, then I'm happy with how much I'm making. If I'm making less, then I'm super angry. And if I'm making more, I feel like I, I tricked the system. You know what I mean? And that's basically how people orient to the earnings part of this. You know, and and then again, we look to the non-financial aspects. So that's what I look at in my at my place in my career. Um, however, people are at different places in their career. Like, what does success look like for someone who just started a business? Right? Let's say an entrepreneurial venture. Let's say it's a coaching business in health and fitness. Well, for them, it might just be get five clients. Right? Well, why? What does that represent? Well, number one, when you have zero clients, it represents a proof of comp. Uh, a proof of um, a proof of concept, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, this uh, like people will actually hire me. They'll pay money for me to do this. So you need a proof of concept of your business, right? So that's part one. Uh, the other part is, um, you know, it represents uh, an exchange of this new value that you're offering, you know, for the dollars, right? And then you have dollars in your pocket, so you can go get the other goods and services and values you want and need. So. Again, I think we all need to define it differently at different steps along the way. Uh, if you're just starting out a business, uh, doing work that you're passionate about 80% of your workday, um, having great flexibility to do as little or as much as you want, um, that's unrealistic. You're not going to have that as an entrepreneur, right? Uh, you're going to have to do a bunch of stuff. Like let's say it's you open a gym, right? And you, you're the only employee right now. Well, you're going to coach the clients and you're going to take care of the front desk and you're going to do the books and you're going to clean the toilets and you're going to vacuum the floor and you're going to uh, oil the uh, plates and racks. You're going to have to do all that. And not all that is work you're passionate about, right? So that might not be the greatest definition of success for where you're at right now. 
But maybe you're investing all of this so that in the future, you can do the things that you're passionate about, have great flexibility and good earnings. So you kind of have like these um, different sets of success metrics along the way to the ultimate success that you're looking for. But I still think it's, it's necessary to have the ultimate success that you're looking for as an outcome that you're working towards. Because if you do open that gym and the ultimate definition is, I want to spend 80% of my day doing things that I'm passionate about. I want to have flexibility, do as little or as much of that as I want. And I want a good amount of earnings so that I can have the things that I want and need. And then I can know the difference between things that I want and need and the other things, right? Um, if you're working towards that, then as you start your gym, you'll be thinking about, well, how do I hire my first few employees? How do I structure this in a way so that eventually I'm only doing the things that I'm most passionate about that I, and that I do have flexibility and stuff like that. So it's, it's really important to not use my definition of success for what you need to have today if you're at the beginning of your career, but you should have it like as a goal in the horizon because then the decisions you make today can help build towards that. And if you aren't thinking about this at all, then you're, you're probably not going to get to that destination. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is such a, an important topic because everybody's looking for fulfillment and success. But just like you mentioned, one of the first things that we measure success is by the person that's doing something similar to what we're doing and how are they doing. So I should be just like that person. And mm -hmm. I'm probably the staple of this. Uh, obviously, owning uh, my own business, going to school and all those things, I said, well, for me to be successful... Uh, owning a uh, health and performance uh, clinic and office, I must probably do what the other person is doing as well because they're successful. But what you're underlying here as well is obviously context, but also too, that person's uh, sense of success or what they're aiming for might be completely different of what I'm doing. Um, and those are things that I haven't, I, I learned the hard way, mm -hmm. right? You learn going through, you're like, well, I don't want to have multiple uh clinics or I don't want to have a giant company um, or I do and I don't it's you start mm -hmm. to now build more of what your uh, again what your success success looks that looks like but yeah I think, I think starting out that might be hard to understand right because you're bombarded by all this information uh, saying hey this is what success looks like this is what um, the top professionals in your field are doing and how much they're making and this is what you should aim for mm -hmm. yeah uh, so yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a great point. I, you know, and I think it's really interesting because um, you know the uh, I mean, th there's one way, which is just do a bunch of stuff, see what other people are doing, kind of try and copy it. You know what I mean? People people say success leaves clues, right? I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of double talk and uh, contradictory statements in the cliches people use. Success leaves clues. What does that mean? It means look at successful people, see what they did and copy them, right? That's, that's what that means. That's what people are saying every single day to entrepreneurs and young people trying to forge a career, right? And then they say in another breath, be yourself, be unique, choose the thing that makes you passionate, right? Yeah. And so how's a young person supposed to navigate all this? Well, you know, it's because there's different people giving different advices, right? So that's partly it. So that's, that means there's a couple different paths. So path one would be, you know, success leaves clues. See what other successful people are doing and copy that. Uh, it probably increases your probability of achieving what you think that person achieved. The question is, though, will you like any of that? You know what right. I mean? Will you like any of the work or will you like any of the outcome? And uh, that's very difficult to predict in advance, right? So you have to try your best to say, gosh, what am I aiming for here? Like, what do I think will make me happy and content and feel like I've brought meaning and all the other things that feel important to you? And then say, okay, cool. So that successful person, are they achieving those things specifically, right? I mean, I, I've, you know, I've been in gyms for 35 years and I've been to many gyms. You know, I've lived a lot of places. I traveled around for school and all these other things. And, you know, I met gym owners who are, you know, their definition of success is, you know, how much they help the people who are members of the gym, you know. Mm -hmm. Others are how much financially they do. Others are what kind of reputation do I have in the community for having a gym, right? I, I've 
been to gyms that are incredible, that make, you know, 50 cents profit a year, right? Um, so they're not profitable at all as from a business sense, they're uh, failures, really. You know, they're not profitable. But the owner isn't interested in making a lot of money. They're interested in just having a super cool gym that people who are passionate about working out can go to and that their ego is enhanced by being the person at the center of that, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? If, if you don't get enough of your ego needs met in other contexts, this may be a place where you want your ego needs met, right? And, and so this may be the perfect success definition. I live in a modest house. I drive a modest car. I own a super cool gym. I don't make any money from it really, but I'm the center of attention. I have this cool space where people who are passionate about what I'm passionate about can come and I'm, I'm, I'm the man or I'm the woman there, you know? So these are all things you have to try and figure out in advance. What do you need most, right? Because if you're that person, but um, you aim to copy the person whose goal is to make the most money, uh, then you might make the most money and be totally sad when you arrive and vice versa, right? If you're the make the most money person, but you follow the ego guy's path, same problem, right? You're like, man, I'm broke. What the hell, you know? And right. you just didn't match up who you are and uh, with, you know, the, the thing that you decide to copy. So it really is this delicate sort of tension, right? You, you do want to look for who's had success, but you want to make sure they're having the kind of success you actually want. And then you can mirror some of the things they've done. But fully going back to origin story, purpose, unique abilities, and value, because the truth is, if your unique abilities aren't the same as theirs, then uh, you may never be able to achieve that kind of success on those terms, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it really is like, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in an immigrant family, which is another reason why me choosing not to be a doctor and go to med school uh, was problematic, right? Because immigrants' uh, parents, when they end up in you know America or Canada, um, you know, want them to be professionals. You know what I mean? Be a doctor, be a lawyer. These are the things, right? Uh, these are good, solid jobs, and you'll make money, and you'll be respected in the community. And you know, exactly. when you come from another country as an immigrant, you're not respected in the community, and you don't make much money. So this is what you got to go do. Um, but uh, you know. This is, uh, you know, this is one of the challenges, right? Because, you know, when we talk about aligning all these things, you know, the other thing, uh, you know, in my immigrant parents told me is you can be anything you want to be. And the answer is that's not true. You can be anything you want to be within the context of your unique abilities, the things that yeah. you can actually end up being good at, right? Um, so that's, you know, the pond to fish in gets a little bit smaller than you can be whatever you want to be. You know, the, the, the probability is you could be whatever you want to be within that pool of your purpose, unique abilities and values. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the pond we want to fish in. So up until this point, we talked about kind of like understanding who we are, where we want to go, our purpose and understanding our values. We've some, I don't want to say we have defined success, but I think we've created a space where now the listeners or whoever's listening um, can have an idea of what their success is. Um, let's say they define their purpose, the, their values, um, again, their, where they want to go, their origin story, and they know what type of success they want. Um, now they're a health, uh, health and fitness professional. Talk about um, layering on top of that. In your book, you talk about having foundation in education. But then one of the problems with health and fitness is you get so bombarded in getting certifications, educations, and workshops, but you lack a big portion of what's important to the people you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, so let's say you, you've decided health and fitness is the space you want to work in. Now, you know, I, I often talk about how there's lots of things you can do within health and fitness. Most people presume to default into coach or facility owner, right? Mm -hmm. These are the most common things people will say when they want to work in health and fitness uh, that they want to do. I want to be a coach or I want to you know, own a facility or maybe it's an online coaching business, whatever. Um, and uh, that's problematic, right? Because that's too narrow a range 
And maybe there's no chance of you having success at that because it will never align with your purpose and unique abilities, right? So that's why I like to broaden the, broaden the pool of options here. I mean, I, I often tell the story, like when Phil and I uh, had sold Precision Nutrition, you know, we spent uh, over a year hiring out all the roles that we filled in the company, right? So there, were, there was work that we did, right? In addition to being founders and, you know, leaders in the company, you know, I was in charge of the content, the editorial team. So I was like the equivalent of the editor-in-chief. And I also was a sort of co-leader of the marketing team. Uh, Phil, on the other hand, was sort of leader of sort of the business aspect of things and also uh, the, the products, like the digital products, right? So he was like a digital product lead and the equivalent of what's called like a CEO. Mm-hmm. So we have to find people to take over these roles. And so we go out and we look, right? And I mean, we meet this, we, we meet this guy, uh, or actually we interviewed a host of people to take over the leader of product, right? So one of Precision Nutrition's product is um, called ProCoach, and it's basically online nutrition coaching software. So it uses Precision Nutrition's curriculum that's been tested with a couple hundred thousand people, um, where our certified coaches can use that curriculum and our software to coach their own clients with them as the coach, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you have digital products, you need a digital product lead. You go look for the, the best you can find. And I mean, there, we meet these, these types of people who are like, have a background in exercise and fitness, just like we do, right? Uh, have a background in sport. But instead of being like, I'm going to be a coach, they also maybe were interested in coding or technology or, you know, something having to do with computers. And they went that route. And so now you have these people who, you know, they can code, they can lead uh, pro development teams, right? So software development teams, and they want to work in fitness with those, that skill set, right? They want to help with coaching or some aspect of fitness. And these folks are making like between five and 700 grand us a year, right? So there are these jobs. I, when you're looking for a, a, an editor in chief, who's been at the very top of the field, they're making about the same, like somewhere between three and 500 grand a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is a person who's written, like, so they have journalism backgrounds or just, you know, brilliant writing chops and loads of experience. And then, you know, team leadership and stuff like that, that you build over time, because editor in chief means you have a team of editors. And then under the team of editors, there's a team of writers. So all this long winded way of me saying, uh, there are so many potential options that limiting your mind to I'm going to be a coach or I'm going to own a facility means taking a whole bunch of things that may be your unique abilities straight off the table, right? And that's a problem because your chances of success are way lower uh, because you're not working in the area that like suits your uniqueness. Uh, Number two, the competition's really great because there's a million, no one's thinking clearly about this. They're all just saying, I want to be a coach too. Right. So there's way too many people in the space. Right. So the idea being, you know, once you start to figure some of this stuff out, you first need to order from a menu that has a lot of options. Right. When you decide what you want to do with your career. Uh, You know, I I always uh, tell the story of, uh, you know, they don't have this where I'm at in Canada. None of my grocery stores carry it. But when I'm down in Scottsdale, Arizona, there's this stuff called like it's like dave's bread right it's like dave's healthy bread uh, mm-hmm. so i don't know if you've ever seen this but uh there's a picture of this guy dave and i don't know if it's a real guy or if it's the avatar that they chose for this thing but dave is like muscular guy uh playing a guitar right like a rock and roll guitar right electric mm-hmm. guitar um and and so the the pitch is essentially like Dave is this cool weightlifting rock and roll dude, and he made healthy bread that's higher in protein and lower in carbs, not a bunch of artificial ingredients, and the bread's everywhere down here, right? So why am I talking about bread? Well, the the reason is I make up this story in my head that there was this guy, Dave, with a bunch of weird things, right? He liked working out. He liked playing music, right? He liked eating healthy. And he's like, how do I just merge all my unique abilities into one thing? You know, if he's the average person today who wants to get into health and fitness, Dave is trying to personal train people at 24-hour fitness to get his start. You know what I mean? But instead, Dave said, you know what? What if I 
you know, I'm good in the kitchen. I like recipe. What, what if I made healthy bread, like high protein, low carb bread, and it was cool, right? And so then Dave does this thing and then bam, Dave's bread's everywhere, right? I don't know if that has anything to do with the real story or not, but it's a great example of how to look outside the conventional pathways and look for this confluence of what makes you unique and special and then solve the problem. What out there do people need that the things that make me unique and special can give? Mm-hmm. And, then we, and then we start thinking about and pursuing that. And then we create our T-shaped curriculum. Okay, cool. I'm Dave who does curls, plays electric guitar, and likes high-protein food. Uh, what skills do I need to become to become Dave's killer bread? You know, and so you build out that curriculum. Well, I got to learn about, you know, mass production of bread. Uh, I got to learn about marketing. I need to learn how to get into grocery stores. I need to learn how to use different ingredients because I'm not baking every batch at home. Right. So here's here's how you build out your T-shaped curriculum. And that that's an educational process. Right. You need to go figure out the things you need to learn. Um, So, you know, I think that uh, that's part one. Right. And, and then part two is there's a couple things, you know, independent of what specific path you go down that you have to learn to work in health and fitness effectively. You know, and then these are the subsequent chapters of my book. Right. One is coaching. Right. And I, I want to be really specific. This isn't coaching to become a coach necessarily, uh, because I think about coaching broadly as being with others effectively. Right. Yeah. So. If you lead a team at work, regardless of what business you're in, that's coaching. If you parent children, that's coaching. If you have paying clients in health and fitness, that's coaching. So what I think you need to learn is how to be with others effectively, right? How to collaborate, how to work with, how to be with others, right? It's all the same skill set. Um, so I think that's required if you're going to work in health and fitness. So whether you end up starting a company, making killer bread, um, coaching clients, it doesn't matter. You need to learn how to be with people. So that's why I have a whole chapter on that. And I think that's a, uh, an area you need to learn. And sadly, it's an area that has historically been totally deficient for people working in health and fitness, especially coaches. They're not learning about change psychology. They're not learning about behavioral and positive psychology. Um, and it's a big deficiency. It's getting better all the time. And that's a really positive note. But none of us came into the industry learning that stuff. We learn sets, reps, programming, biochemistry. Um, yep. You know, the next part is obviously business. And that, that, that's a loaded word. So let me unpack that too, right? Just like coaching is being effectively with others, business is this, only this. It's knowing what people are willing to buy or willing to pay for. So that's one. Two is creating something awesome to deliver that thing. And then three is, telling everyone who could possibly pay for it about it. That's business. I challenge anyone to tell me that that isn't the exact core of business, right? Yeah. I mean, it's exchanging dollars for goods and services. And how do you do that? We need to make things people are willing to pay for. You need to make them good enough that they are willing to buy from you and tell everyone about it. And then you need to tell everyone possible about that thing that you made. That's awesome that they want to buy. And so how do you do that? How do you build that skill? That's required, right? Then beyond that, I think the last part is reputation. Like how do you become the kind of person then that people want to do business with? Because even if you have a great product that they're willing to pay for, that um, it's excellent and that uh, you tell everyone about it, if you're an a-hole, people will stop buying from you. They will pray. They will pray to the health and fitness gods that someone more likable comes out with a product kind of like yours, even if it's less good because they don't want to buy from someone they don't like, trust, or respect, right? So, I mean, this is what you put together. You want to be in health and fitness, but you got to learn how to be with other people. You got to learn how to make either things or services that people want to pay for that's remarkable, and you got to let everyone know about it. And then you have to be the kind of person people want to transact with. And that's reputation development. And again, you know, I have a couple thousand word chapters on each of these and it's far exceeds the scope of what we can talk about today. But really we're talking about building out the future you. And these are the things you have to build out. Yeah. I mean, you hit on so many good subjects because like I said, 
um, so often we get the very basics, right? You're going to school or you go through education or workshops. You get, you know, as coaches and uh, a professional in health and fitness, you get really good at developing a program, whether that's strength conditioning or lifestyle or whatever it may be. But there's a giant aspect of dealing with people, right, where you talk about coaching um, and then obviously the business side. And then, of course, having the reputation to so that people continue to come to you and, and obviously uh, provide the value and the passion that you have for what you're teaching or, or what you're providing. So, yeah, that was awesome. And, and, and I highly, highly suggest that anyone listening to this podcast, to this episode right now, really check out the book that John Berardi has spent the time to be able to, again, to put all this stuff together and change maker. Um, I myself have gone through the uh, sample or the free sample of the book. Um, just with that part, you learn a ton. But once you get to the end, you're like, wait, I need I need the rest. So I'm one of those that is going to be buying the book today. Um, John, thank you very much for being on this podcast. How, how can um, the listeners and audience reach out to you? Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the great discussion. And yeah, folks can find me at, at first of all, johnbarotti.com has kind of a listing of all the things I'm up to and what I've done. So if people are curious or they want to jump off from there to various projects I've been involved in. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the thing that I'm most excited and passionate about now is Changemaker. You know, I, uh, it took me you know, two years to write the book, right? So sitting down and saying, I want to write this thing, uh, you know, and I started it at the very end of, you know, my tenure at, at PN, but I, it took me 30 years to create the book, right? I mean, it's yeah. everything that I've learned in 30 years in this industry. And that was the point, right? I was like, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but as I transition out of precision nutrition, I want to capture everything that I think I've learned and share it, you know? I mean, the book is... I don't know, it's probably $19 on Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, for what you get, I mean, I can't think of a better value for anything right now on the planet. You know, it's, it's 30 years of experiences plus worksheets, scripts, activities for you to be able to unpack all the things we talked about today. And, and, and again, you know, Phil and I sold Precision Nutrition for a couple hundred million dollars. So uh, I don't need to make money off of this book. So that was never the point. The point was to create the most beautiful, accessible, helpful, possible resource and get it to everyone uh, to the point where every dollar in royalties that I spend, I put right back into giving away free copies or getting copies into the most amount of people's hands. Because I just think if I never make a penny off of this, you know, success for this book to me will be authentically capturing what I think people aren't going to learn anywhere else. And then making sure that maximum number of people learn that stuff. So that's really the mission here. And you know, people can again get it at Amazon, um, it, wherever you buy books. Right now, bookstores are closed, so you can't get them there. You know, but anywhere online where you buy books, you can you can get it. Uh, if you're international, so if you're not in the U.S., uh, the Book Depository has book. So it's BookDepository.com has a great deal where they ship anywhere internationally for free. So if you're outside the U.S., you can pay a, a reasonable rate for the book and then get it shipped to you for free. And then in the U.S., like Amazon's really kind of doing the best right now of getting the book out to people quickly as possible. And I think there's like a 33% discount on the book, which brings it down to less than 20 bucks. So yeah, I'd be honored if people decided to check it out based on our conversation today. And I'd love to hear from everyone who actually does go through it um, about maybe how it added value to their work in their lives absolutely so for the listeners you should see the link at the bottom or the show notes at the bottom of this podcast um, where you have the link to not only uh, john's website but uh, the link to the book and change uh, maker academy uh, for those of you that are looking to either reach out to him or find some more information uh, and the value that he's given off this episode um, with that being said, we have two more sections real quick um, before we close out and the next one is speed round Speed round, or as my co-host uh, Tim Langer likes to call it, rapid fire, um, is a few questions that I have here, fun questions, uh, just so that the listeners and I can get to know you, John, a little bit more. Um, it's short bursts of questions. You have a small amount of time to answer them. And yeah, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm terrible at speed round, by the way. <laughs> I, I can never... 
people are like, hey, my podcast is 15 minutes. I'm like, well, then we will answer one quarter of a question because I talk yeah. forever. But anyway, we'll do our best. Let's do it. All right. All right. Well, the first question is, what is your greatest fear, John? Um, my greatest fear. Hmm. That's a great one because I don't frame anything in terms of fears, but I will, I will say um, it's, it probably is parallel to my, um, to my, I guess, mission as a parent, right? I'm like, when, when, you, when you boil it down to what is your most important mission as a parent and you watch how people parent, it's um, keeping their children alive, right? Like, like moving up Maslow's level of hierarchy, if you want to call it that, is like, you know, discipline, caregiving, structure and learning and all that. But your number one is keeping them alive. And I, and on, I, I would say my greatest fear is uh, losing one of our children, one of our children dying, passing okay. away. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that does haunt me periodically. You know, the loss of one of our children and me being there to see it and I'm not being able to pre- prevent it. So that, that's, that's one of mine. Okay. The next one is the top three things on your bucket list. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, so number one, uh, well, I'll, I'll say in no particular order. One is a conventional bucket list item. So we have four children. So one of our goals is once they're all old enough, uh, we plan on, uh, doing like a two week whitewater rafting trip through Colorado river, through the grand Canyon. So that's one of the conventional, like adventure kind of bucket list things, right? So that's, that's one, uh, that we're super pumped about. Uh, as a family, our kids are, our youngest is just three and a half. So too young to do that just yet. Um, so I would say uh, the, the other one is, you know, as much as I love and devote time to our family, uh, I'm really excited about the next phase of life where, you know, uh, the kids are grown, they've survived, they're healthy, they move out into the world to be independent. And Amanda, my wife and I, uh, can be empty nesters. So that's my second bucket list item. You know, I'm not trying to shoo them out of the house just yet, but it's been, you know, close to 12 years where we've uh, lived this life of just having lots of kids around. So one of my next bucket list items is, hey, it would be cool to have have a life that's a evolution that allows us to um, have kids around less of the time. Um, uh, and then uh, the third is, is, is some of the cool uh, projects that I'm working on now, actually, and it's, uh, it's divergent, but it's actually to do stuff that I haven't done before. You know, my whole career has been in health and fitness. You know, my first uh, jobs after under the table dishwashing jobs at restaurants were in gyms and, and fitness settings. Uh, so some of the next few projects I'm working on are writing some children's books, which I'm in the process of now. I'm also really interested in... Um, sort of sustainable home building. Uh, so we're working on some projects right now. We're doing like a 400 home subdivision and then a personal family home for us. And our, and our family home is kind of like a test project for a totally off the grid, but very modern and functional home. Uh, oh, cool. So that, th- those are two of the things that are on my bucket list also. Uh, write some children's books and uh, learn more about and create uh, some cool ideas around sustainable uh, architecture and home building. Awesome. Uh, next question. What was the last movie you saw? If you're uh, a movie last movie I saw, this I watch, I almost, I, yeah, I watch almost nothing but children's movies now. <laughs> um, so the last movie I saw was we had a Frozen 1, Frozen 2 doubleheader the other night. Oh, nice. How was that? Uh Frozen always has a special place in my heart. Frozen came out when our youngest was really young. So it's the first movie I ever got to take one of our children to. Um, And we saw it at the theater and, you know, we saw it a million times after that. So that, that Frozen one always has a very special place in my heart, but Frozen two is actually incredible. Uh, And so that was like the other night was only the second time I had seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some great wisdom in that movie as well. Um, some great one-liners about life in general that fit the story, but you can actually take in a much broader philosophical way. So fantastic. Uh, even if you don't have kids, Frozen is must-see Disney uh, filmmaking. I agree. I'm, I'm a fan of all things Disney, but Frozen is also it's a good one. Uh, next and final uh, speed round question. 
Uh, your favorite uh, superhero, if you have one. Uh, favorite superhero. My favorite superhero ever since I was a kid had always been Superman. Uh, to the point where I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Boy Who Could Fly, um, but that came out when I was maybe pre ten. Okay. Um, and it was about this boy who thought he could fly, and uh, I. It's probably not a great film. I saw it when I was like nine years old or whatever, but. Between Superman and the boy who could fly, they convinced me that if you wanted it bad enough, you could fly. So uh, when I was a young child, I um, stood at the top of a staircase and I decided to fly off of it and didn't go so well. And I have scar to prove it to this day. But even uh, when I was uh, in grade school, we had teachers who would, um, we had this one teacher who taught us how to better control our dreams. So there was like a whole process. And, um, and I remember like learning how to fly in my dreams intentionally. So I could go to bed at night and say, tonight I'm going to fly. And then I go through this process and then I could make myself fly in my dreams. So, uh, Superman's always stuck with me. Like you can go Superman, Batman and talk about powers and gadgets and all that stuff. But for me, it's like that flying part, uh, was really, really incredible. And so to the point where, you know, it's been actually a part of my life where I, I like to fly in my dreams at night. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So this last part um, is gratitude is thanks. Three thanks that we love to give and we make it a point to give. The first one goes to you, John. Thank you again for taking the time to uh, be on this uh, podcast and share the knowledge that you have, uh, share the values that you have uh, incorporated in your new book, uh, change maker. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I feel really grateful to be able to do it. You know, we're, we're down here in Arizona, kind of stuck here. We can't go back to Canada yet. It's not terrible though. Um, and, uh, and I'm here in this house with our whole family every single day in this rental house. So I'm grateful for the platform to share our message and even grateful just for the opportunity to talk to another adult. That's not my wife uh, right now. So thank you. Of course, of course. Uh, our second thank you goes to our listeners. Um, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share knowledge, to have great guests like John on this uh, podcast, and just to share value and drop knowledge and be able to help you in any adventure it may be, whether it's business or self-help or health and fitness or whatever it may be. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. You couldn't have been doing anything at this point but you chose to listen to this episode and we are eternally grateful. And the last thank you goes to our clients, our patients, our students, uh, even our readers that get to indulge in what we have to offer, whether it's sessions, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, um, or even just a, a class that we get to teach. If there's no one there to receive uh, what we put our life in, what we work so hard for and the value that we are trying to uh, get across, then it would just be words. It would just be sound. It would just be an empty classroom. But thank you again, like I said, uh, for the opportunity to, uh, for us to be able to share our passion and share our knowledge and share our experience. With that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support and see you on the next episode. Hold up.